0: This is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, this is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book.
1: O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them.
2: Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello. I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am not with Lindsay today because I had to bring in the Lord of Lore himself for uh, the discussion that we're going to have today. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Zach
0: Chrisman. Hey, what's up? How you doing?
2: I am quite good. Um, I am very excited about the conversation we're going to be having today because we have another guest. We have author Mike Chen joining us today. He wrote Disturbance, which is the Palpatine chapter in the most recent Empire Strikes Back from a Certain Point of View. So, Mike, how are you? And thanks for joining us.
1: Good. Thank you so much for having me. I am happy to talk about Star Wars whenever and wherever.
2: Yeah. I mean, you've been a fan for, for a long time and... Before we get into that, though, I, I want to ask you about. The, l- l- let's go back in the time machine. We're going to go back in the time machine to high school, mm-hmm. and you wrote a parody of the Grapes of Wrath called <laughs> yes. Oranges of Evil. And I, I feel did. like there's a story there, and I want to hear it.
1: Oh, it was just uh, um, it, it, it was uh, in my I think sophomore year English class, and the assignment was just to take to write a, a satire of of anything that we had read. Um, and actually this is, this is a turning point for me as a writer, because this is where I first really learned to use voice and dialogue and realized that I had an understanding of it because I used a lot of the, the, the voice of the characters from the grapes of wrath and and like Steinbeck's kind of dry of way of, you know, describing things, but I gave it this completely ridiculous spin um and, and i remember like the the we had to pass our papers to like the person in front of us to, to and they would read it to the class and the the poor girl in front of me was like laughing so hard that she couldn't like get through the reading um because there was a lot of uh skitters jokes in there which is their diarrhea synonym that they used in, in grapes of wrath so it was it, it was silly it ends with ninja turtles uh, which I won't get into, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, it was actually a, a, a milestone for me as in my my creative, like understanding of what I was good at as a writer. That's that's awesome.
2: I. I... I kind of like looking back to high school because that's kind of where I started really getting into my writing too. And um, just that reminds me of, I used to play a game with a friend. We, we got onto the word tremendous for some reason. So then we challenged each other to use tremendous in the most ridiculous way possible and everything that we wrote for the rest of the year and little like things like that where it's like, here's this easy idea, but put a spin on it and get a little weird with it. Always makes yeah. it really fun and challenging to kind of, see what your identity as a writer is.
1: Yeah, and it pushes you to think differently because, like, all the easy answers are are done in, like, the first five attempts. And then after that, then you have to get weird, which is where the fun comes in.
2: Yeah, 100%, 100%. And obviously, I'm I'm guessing you grew up a Star Wars fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've been... Tell us that story. When did did you get into it? What kept you coming back to it?
1: I was born in 78, so um, I... Distinctly remember getting toys like Empire toys. I have Christmas photos of me playing with like little Hoth playset. I remember one of the things that I had was like the the rubber tauntaun with like the slit in the opening where you could stuff your figures in there. Um, so I have all these memories of like I, was, I went to go see Return of the Jedi in the theater, and then afterwards we went to Kmart for some reason, um, and they had the storybook like in the front display, and me and my brother were looking at it, and like when it got to the page with Vader without his helmet, like I was terrified and I couldn't look at it. So um, it's it's been a major part of my life, like my whole life. Like the Zahn trilogy when that released we would go to the Walden books on like the day of like my best friend and I, um, and like they would have the VHS playing in the background and we, you know, we'd get the book and, um, X wing for the, uh, for PC in the nineties. That was one of my, it still is one of my favorite games ever. So star Wars squadrons was like the most insane experience for me because it's like everything that I ever wanted out of that. So it was just, I was, you know, opening night, midnight for the prequels, um, just so many life experiences. My wife and I, when we met our first date, she was wearing a Princess Leia t-shirt, and this was like 2002, uh, uh, like around, around Attack of the Clones. Yeah, it was, because we, we went to go see Attack of the Clones like as a, I think, third or fourth viewing for both each of us. So it's just, it's always been there. I, I wrote an article for Nerdist um, a few months ago about how we're introducing our daughter to Star Wars now, and we did the machete order. Um, and it was like this grand experiment where we kept her from spoilers, and we showed it to her in like this specific order to maximize her emotional attachment with these characters. So
0: it's, it's how did that work real, out? It worked out amazing. so I what's highly, what's highly the bomb it. when she gets the bomb and finally figures out what's happening? So so there's two points
1: to it, really. So like there's the first cliffhanger at the end of Empire and i have a photo of her with just like her mouth open and her fingers tented like mr burns from the simpsons (laughs) and she um and so right after that we asked her um who do you so vader is saying that he is luke's father and then obi-wan is saying that vader killed luke's father who do you think is lying and she said right away well vader is lying because why would obi-wan lie and so she she was five at the time we did this between five and six years old um and so we were like, okay, we're all in, and we like we already knew we were going to do this, but then we gave her the choice, so so she had some agency over it. We said, do you want to go see what really happened to Luke's father first? And and she said yes. And then we we're like, okay, and you're going to meet him as a little boy. Um, and so by the time, even now, she still likes Attack of the Clones. She will joke like when, when one of us is like being. Pissy because <laughs> we're always pissy in the <laughs> pandemic. Um, right. She will say you're being dramatic, like Anakin. Uh, so so she has like she has this attachment to Anakin. Um, but even when he's like at his worst as a character, um, she just sees it as like oh he's just a teenager, he's just being dramatic. So the big bomb in Revenge of the Sith, so we did the Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, then like five Clone Wars episodes. So she really grew an attachment to Anakin um, and then Revenge of the Sith. And we were like, we weren't quite sure if if this was necessarily a good idea because she clearly loved Anakin. Um, and it's such an intense movie. But then we were like, okay, you know, like we're going to be here with her. we are tell her that there's some scary things coming up. And if she wants to stop or talk about it, then we can. So this whole time she's thinking like, you know, there's no way Anakin is Vader. She's like, she's clear. She thinks General Grievous or Dooku is going to be one of them. And then, so once Dooku gets killed in the beginning, she's like, "Well, that's not right. He's supposed to be Vader." And she's like, "Okay, it has to be, you know, General Grievous because he's like the mechanical guy coming in." And then Obi Wan takes care of him, and then she gets invested in the idea that Anakin must save Padme because she loves Padme. And so as things start to kind of unravel, she she's thinking that like there's still some other third party that's gonna be Vader. Even when Anakin is, you know, given the name Darth Vader, she's thinking that like he's going to like die saving Padme and someone else will take the title Darth Vader because there's just no way that, you know, this character that she loves will do this. And so when um when Mace Windu leaves leads the charge to take palpatine uh, and then anakin comes in and then uh, mace is like i'm going to kill him and then she screams at the screen she's like no no don't you she he needs him to save padme so like there's this huge emotional investment for these prequel characters that when when we were all watching the prequels in the theaters you know like we're we're just kind of like oh you, you know, already Natalie knew Portman. yeah we already knew and we we're also kind of making fun of them for you know not the best performances she doesn't see any of that you know she doesn't care if it's cg or practical effects she doesn't care if it's prequel or original trilogy she sees an interwoven story
0: and that's why i'm attached to it that's why i got attached because i was you know now nowadays attack of the clones is one of my least favorite star wars movies but at that time that love story as a little kid that really meant a lot to me and i really took to that so that's very interesting
1: yeah when she so I will say one of the most powerful things so after so when she didn't grasp that Padme had actually died so we had to break it to her she's like what happened to Padme and we're like she's dead and so there was just like devastation there but then right after that uh, right after Revenge of the Sith ended we loaded up Empire like the last 15 minutes of Empire to just kind of like Re, you know, recalibrate her brain about why we did this, and so she's looking at this in completely different ways. And then during Return of the Jedi, when we're watching it, she's referring to him as Anakin the whole time. And so when when he turns and he saves Luke, she's extremely happy. And so now I I was always on the fence about like Hayden Christensen being put into Return of the Jedi, but now as I see it. I'm like, this makes complete sense because you're you're talking to, you want someone who has like th- this emotional attachment to the like the visual of their character, um, and so if it was Sebastian Shaw, she would be like, who is this guy, you know? But she saw Anakin, and she was just thrilled that to see him back to make those right choices. So, it, this is something that that we talk about a lot. The only Star Wars she has not seen. Um, she has not seen Rise, uh, Rise of Skywalker yet, um, mostly because like we want to try to draw this out, and there's so much other material out there that like we want, we don't want her to give her we don't want her to have like the sense of finality to it. Like we, so we're we're exploring Clone Wars again. Like she knows there's a third Ray movie out there. She really loves Ray, um, but we're doing Clone Wars, and then we're probably going to do Mandalorian sometime soon or so like there's just there's so much content to explore but there's like because rise of skywalker is like the end of the timeline as it stands right now we kind of want to save that for her plus i have my own opinions on the storytelling of that movie but she doesn't care about that
2: (laughs) right (laughs) it's so cool like getting to see star wars through other people's eyes like i had a student a few years back who just completely changed my opinion on on jar jar um and those are – that's what makes this fun, you know, is, is mm-hmm. you can look at it through so many different angles and and, and it hits you in different ways. So uh, it's it's so – I always like going on that journey with people. Like, I, yeah. I actually get excited when I meet people and they're like, oh, I actually haven't seen oh. Star Wars. And I'm like, oh, yes, let's do this. Because you're getting it – like, you're almost getting to see it again.
1: And what's really nice about with, with her, she's – I mean, like, even if you show it to some – to just an adult as a first-time viewer they still have like those expectations of like what is good acting what is good directing things like that you know, you're always going to kind of look at it through a critical lens um whereas she just does not care she's just invested invested in the character she doesn't care that like oh you know Ewan mcgregor was kind of flat right here <laughs> you know things like that um, so she, yeah, she's, she is fully invested in that universe. And like, she asks me so many questions about like deep canon stuff, but she also asked me questions about character stuff, which tells me that like this really worked for her. Cause even now she will ask things about like, uh, why didn't anyone help Anakin when he clearly needed help? Like why didn't Obi-Wan tell you know say you know you could talk to me or something because we always talk with her about how it's important to you know express your feelings and work through them and she's like obi-wan didn't
0: what's wrong with him <laughs> You
1: yeah, know, so it's it's really cool to to build this foundation from such an early age with her
0: so i i want to get into a a couple things about specifically your chapter. Um, obviously, we are all very big fans of the books, and um, I think Disney has had more uh, really good Star Wars stories than they have not. Um, but I'll, I'm more of a Star Wars. I'm more of a Jedi guy, Sith guy. I like the higher fantasy stuff, the Old Republic, and a lot of the novels. While I love them, is very um, Empire versus Rebellion. Stuff like that. So when I got certain point of view, uh, Empire Strikes Back, I I really loved a lot of these chap- chapters, and I thought there was um, a, a lot of really interesting takes on stuff that weren't a little that weren't wonky. They were very they were very good, interesting takes, and I really enjoyed this book. But I was not expecting your chapter to be the way. That it was like the moment I I heard Sam Witwer because I listen to Audible when I do a lot of my books, and I knew that this was a Palpatine chapter. This was everything I needed because I always thought that you know since he doesn't play a major role in that film, he's still the major role of the Empire, and I always wanted to get that peel back behind the curtain and the style of the writing that you wrote with this chapter i immediately got um james luceno's darth plagueis vibes but it's palpatine i really feel like uh understood as a major sith fan as a major star wars fan um by my own you know, um, feelings about Palpatine. I feel like you really matched him in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. So, why don't we peel back behind the curtain? What made you want to tell the Palpatine, this specific Palpatine story? What is intriguing about it? Um, how did it come to be? So, um, I will say that I, I submitted
1: five pitches to Lucasfilm. So, five different characters. They give me a short list. I think. I was brought in about a quarter of the way through the process because some of the the authors who they've worked with before like they got first dibs so um i was looking at the short list of scenes and characters that were available and it was like um the droid on cloud city that swears at c-3po and um admiral ozzles like you know the the dude who's behind him when when he's getting choked um you know character just side characters like that and then i saw palpatine on the list and i'm like why has no one picked Palpatine yet? And I, you know, before I even had a story idea, I go, I tell myself like, if I'm gonna do this, if this is the only chance I get to write Star Wars, I'm gonna go big or go home. So I told uh, Tom, my editor that like, I have ideas for, you know, these other characters, but I would really like to try Palpatine if you'll let me do that. So he said, he said yes, which I was kind of shocked And so then I had to come up with a quick pitch. And actually at first, I had, um, even before I got the shortlist, I had asked about The Cave. Um, And The Cave was done by Tracy Dion, who's an awesome writer and a wonderful human being. And she deserves everything that she gets. Um, Her story's really, really good too. I I tell people that it's like a yin and yang to my story. Um, But originally I had an idea of, the cave is all about, like, fear. Um, and so if Yoda went into the cave, his fear would be seeing uh, Anakin and Padme happy and whole with, you know, ch- uh, with teenage Luke and Leia running around them. Like, the fear of what he missed out by, by not listening to Anakin. And so when uh, it came time to come up with a Palpatine story, i like, I love this idea of, like, this twisted vision, and so I just kind of inverted it and took it into um, into Palpatine space. And actually, I'm really happy that it went worked out this way too, because this actually let me get into Anakin's character and not just be something you know, tangential that Yoda experienced. But it's it's basically Palpatine and Anakin in a fight through the Force, you know, trying to establish like this thing that they both covet, but for different reasons. So when I came up with the pitch. It went through three levels of approval. First, it was a pitch approval, and then an outline approval, and then the actual draft approval. And each time, I thought they were going to say like, "This guy can't write this major moment in canon because he's new." Um, but each time, they they did it, and now it's released. And now, <laughs> you know, now I'm on Wikipedia, and Sam Witwer has read it, so they can't take it away from me now. <laughs> There's no no takebacks. That's right. Uh, yes, <laughs> but uh, I, I am my my love of Star Wars really is Jedi and Sith like you, like I, if I could pick a character to write, I would write a Qui-Gon Jinn story. So writing something like this was really, really important to me. And and it was really important for me to get the voice right. So I'm really glad that you said that I've read the, the Darth Plagueis book. Um, but my biggest influence On this was um, when in Matthew Stover's Revenge of the Sith novel were all the passages about the dark um, that is the voice that I wanted to emulate for Palpatine and it could it was always about Palpatine every sentence in there is about Palpatine manipulating for control there's no actual like human emotion in there until he chooses to let himself have it for just a second and, and it, it's a little bit of gloating, you know, more than anything else. But otherwise, if you look at every line in there it was specifically written to just be about manipulation.
0: What I loved about this chapter, um, as well is, you know, again, you, you talk about this as, you know, it's, it's a Palpatine chapter, but it's almost a character study of Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Um, there's multiple things that this really matches in tone. And I think it's funny that you were matching the tone of the Revenge of the Sith novel. But this is also a great um the the chapter complements more on the dark side level, but it complements Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice chapter in Another the first burn point of view yeah. exactly. and and that's what I, I got. I felt like, That chapter I would just listen to if I needed inspiration or I needed, you know, I just wanted to feel like, you know, Star Wars really got the Force. I would listen to that chapter, Mm -hmm. and this chapter I listened to... Because when you look at, uh, like, Darth Plagueis, or um, what I would say Charles Soule's Darth Vader run, they, Darth Vader, Charles Soule really kind of, that, it complements that, too. Because Star Wars is best with Darth Vader, and even the current Star Wars Darth Vader run, Star Wars is the best with Darth Vader when they understand that Anakin never fully left Vader at all and that vader is a weaponized evil anakin skywalker that heart is still there that but it's pure passion pure hate pure regret pure anguish that fuels him as opposed to uh anakin skywalker wanting to live up to being the chosen one and in this chapter uh you really you reveal that Palpatine really understands this. And I find that so compelling because, I mean, in it, it, me as a reader with the Charles soul, you, you kind of always find that Anakin is this, or that Darth Vader is this Anakin weird, you know, he's a Sith Lord now and he's just, but he never left. And I, I love that part. I love that so much. You know, one of the things that I, I, I know even in, in two thousand five,
1: I I understand it so much more now, but like when the Revenge of the Sith came out, I never had an issue with the way Anakin turned. Um, and like even now I understand like the moment that he turns is actually when he's looking out on the balcony with Padme and they're connecting, and then he chooses her over the Republic. That's when he actually turns. But like the idea of him going from saying that like he will do whatever he can and then just like slaughtering children. I remember talking with some of my fellow, you know, Star Wars fans and they're like, "Wow, he went downhill fast and like almost too fast for me to believe." And I thought like, "Wait a minute. Yoda says in Empire like once you take a step down the dark path, you know, forever it dominates your destiny." Like that's how fast it just wraps around you. And and so for me, like what I was trying to do here was really show that you know, the dark side is all encompassing, like, and it's just like all like rage and want and passion, except for Palpatine, who's managed to temper the rage part of it, and it's just passion and control for him. So you have these two forces where like Anakin wants to try to uh, control. He want like that's the thing he sought his whole life, but his passion and his rage and his fear especially are too powerful to 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 give him that and that's why he slips in the force in this in in this like his dream once he finds out where luke is his his delusions of grandeur are too powerful to slip in the force and that's how palpatine catches him so it's, it's, and, it's just it's a battle for him.
0: And that's kind of where I get the Darth Plagueis vibes. James Luceno's Darth Plagueis is because in that book, they very much explain, you know, the force is the dark side specifically is a science experiment. You have to give to it. You have to sacrifice for it. You have to embody it, own it, and understand it. And Darth Plagueis, um, he wasn't, you know, a rage type of Sith Lord. You know, Anakin slash vader is very much the weapon he's Mm -hmm. just this blunt force i mean if he was in uh dungeons and dragons he would be a barbarian raging the entire time and palpatine and plagueis they are the what i loved about this is that palpatine understands how the dark side Works. There are rules to it. There are ways to work around it. There are ways to understand what the force is revealing to you and how to go about it and how to keep, um, how to take one meaning and then insert your own meaning to it. And this, as he's learning and seeing all these different things, he's adjusting the his own you know feelings about them and he's not reacting he's kind of like counter fighting them with his own brain and you can just i love the calculating and the understanding of how the dark side works for him
1: so there was an interview with sam witwer ironically where, when he was talking about uh when he first got cast as darth maul and then talking about like what are they actually going to do with darth maul and um how darth Maul was supposed to be the 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 leader of the separatists but then he got you know cast aside for dooku and it was about how palpatine is uh adjusted to anything. and he he said something that always stuck with me about palpatine where he said that palpatine is not this you know being that can see everything he just he sees all the variables and he's constantly adapting to that. So I really tried to bring that here, where with each layer of revelation, uh, Palpatine just pivots just a little bit until he's fully realized that, like, oh, this is a button I can push in, in Vader. I'm going to push this and see what he can do for me. And then right when he thinks he's won, I'm going to try to, you know, take the floor out from under him.
2: When you kind of talk about that in calling the force like infinite currents and that only a true sith can venture into them all. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like it's not that palpatine is omnipotent or omnipresent. It's a it's that he's willing to go down those different angles and avenues and see where they lead whereas, you know, uh especially the jedi of of that era would not have been willing to to go down that path.
1: Yeah, they're very much like the whole like Mace Windu, I always see as like kind of the villain of the saga because he's yes, like the super. You. He's the super dogmatic guy. Yeah, he, he's like, he's just a dick. You know, like, really but is. you know, I will. I will also say that like Samuel L. Jackson played him perfectly for the role. You know, he is confident, like overconfident, over dogmatic, and looks down on anyone who dares question him. Um, which is the exact wrong thing when you bring in, like, the most powerful Jedi in a generation who also has severe attachment issues. Yeah. (laughs) It's uh, like
2: Mace Windu is the, you know, you're supposed to hate him. That's what, like, I hate Mace Windu, but I'm supposed to. I love that I hate Mace Windu. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, and I find him... I find him fascinating too. I loved uh, Stover's Shatterpoint novel. Yes. Um, So good. And I also like, uh, I love how they, they mentioned that in Clone Wars, which is really, really awesome. Um, I I think like the idea that he has so much faith in his whole perspective of Shatterpoints and his dogma that he misses like the biggest thing possible Mm. because it's like, Oh, but he's a Jedi. There's no way he could be a Shatterpoint, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, like, how the perception uh, of a Jedi kind of evolves as we go along and how, uh, you know, the the Jedi of the prequels are, you know, almost the antithesis of what they're supposed to be. And you, you make some distinctions between the Jedi and the Sith in here or... Um, there's, there's two lines that really stuck out to me. One of them is the Jedi with their myopic commitment to live of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really cool line to me because Palpatine is demeaning the Jedi when he's the one that literally clings to life like in any way possible. Uh, that's like literally his arc. Um, and then you also have this line where it says uh, Palpatine knew better than to ever give in to something as trivial as emotions, which of course, you know, automatically makes you think of the Jedi. So like, why was it important for you to put this parallel here, and what were you trying to say about Palpatine? What were you trying to say about the Sith overall through those, uh, through that dynamic?
1: It's mostly because um, there's also a line in there uh, which, um, which talks about luminance, and I love when Sam Witwer pronounces it. He says luminance with like this sneer, like you know yeah. he's mocking, and it's really to put a parallel to Yoda's luminous beings speech. Because they're talk about, you know, Yoda talks about, like, life creates it, makes it flow. And then Palpatine's perspective, the Sith's perspective is, no, it's there. It's there for the taking, but you have to fight for it. You can't, this is not like, it's kind of like if you have a rushing river, you could lay in there and let it flow and see where it takes you and then look for the opportune moment to, like, you know, get out or whatever. Or you could be a Sith and be like, "No, I am stronger than this current, and I am going to fight it and f- swim upstream until I get to where I need." I think those are like really the two opposing opposing points of view.
2: Yeah, and like the, I think the Jedi, there's there's hypocrisy on both sides because the Jedi say that they're not, you know, controlling the Force, but we see them kind of trying to push the things that don't fit into their narrative mm-hmm. off yes. to the side. Whereas the Sith say they accept all things when they're really trying to be the ones that are controlling all things. So it's, it's kind of an interesting cognitive dissonance between the two.
1: I would say the the Sith do accept all things because they're looking for you to give up how, um, where your vulnerability is at. So they're like, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, they will accept you in there just so they can see, how they can manipulate you the jedi instead are like oh yeah we will live peaceably you know alongside you but like you know if if you don't believe in our religion then you know like that's that's kind of your bad that's why i love qui-gon jinn as a character because he is the one who who really gets it and i loved master and apprentice both like the short story is one of my favorite Star Wars pieces of canon, like ever, but the book itself was really, really great to get that much deeper dive into who Qui Gon Jinn was and why is he this hippie who is obsessed with prophecy and everyone else seems to hate him, but he's like, no, you, you old dudes are not getting it.
0: <laughs> yeah, but
1: yeah, it's it. I love that. Um, I love the way that the Jedi are really set up to be, like just the they are the cause of their own demise like it's really their fault and if they would have just listened to to
0: gon then like it wouldn't have gone this way and that's why I really love uh which is completely unrelated to your um to your palpatine chapter but when you were talking about pitching in the cave and you know seeing. Anakin and Padme raising the kids and stuff like that, and how Yoda, you know, feels like he—am I correct when I'm saying he feels like he had failed on that premise? Mm-hmm. Is yeah, that, that what you're have, saying?
1: That would have what been like what that whole thing would have been Yoda confronting his failure in the in in the f- physical form of happy Anakin and Padme.
0: Because I've always argued that I I've never really thought about um, Anakin making that choice when they're out on the patio i always said anakin truly knew that he could not trust the jedi when he was having that talk with yoda and he's about ready to i mean you could tell he's about ready to open up and say you know somebody's dying i i need help i, I don't know where to turn i i you know i need assistance i'm very vulnerable right now you know he, you could tell he wants to say all this and then yoda's uh, yoda's just like learn to let go of everything <laughs> yeah. you're afraid to lose and he's that with that moment when when Hayden Christensen is looking off that's it's the moment shot. that that's the moment to me where he says okay I can't trust the Jedi anymore.
2: Well, and yet. it's not a it's not a one-time thing, right? Like Obi-Wan oh. basically tells him like dreams pass in time, like you'll mm-hmm. get over it, which is basically what Yoda's saying and it's like no, I need to know how to actually handle this situation. Like, give me something to actually do, you know? And, and I think that's what is the allure of the dark side is in their effort to, you know, control the force, they're actually doing something. Um, even if it may not be the best thing that you could be doing, they're at least doing something.
0: Which is why it's funny to me, because, you know, when you think of, like, Anakin Skywalker falling in love with Padme, and then you have Obi-Wan and Satine, like, all these Jedi, you know, kind of had these relationships, yet nobody talked about it, and nobody felt okay to talk about it. And when Obi-Wan sees this part with Anakin, uh, him falling in love with Padme, and him having this, you know, past justice with Satine, you would think he would try and open up more, but he's... Literally, the Jedi are just covering up their own emotions and putting essentially band aids on what truly makes them human. I tell people
1: to watch Clone Wars because, like the, the the time jump between clones and Sith is kind of problematic from a storytelling perspective because you don't, you know, there's a there's an, the middle of the arc that you're missing. Um, but I tell people to watch Clone Wars because you'll understand Anakin for all his good traits and for her, all his faults, he's basically being gaslit by the people who are supposed to trust him. He can't be honest with his brother. He can't be honest with his wife. He can only be mostly honest with his Padawan, and then they betray his Padawan. And then all the while, you know, his cool uncle Palpatine is keep keeps telling him, hey, you're actually right, and you're actually good. Listen to me so like you see all this this formula coming together where he's being pulled apart in like four or five different directions and he can't be honest with anyone and i find that like i can't separate revenge of the sith from clone wars anymore so every beat of revenge of the sith makes complete sense to me so i I tell people who have not seen clone wars like it's vital to the arc of anakin
2: yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, it adds so much depth. And the the nice thing is that, like, about these ancillary materials is that you can add on extra layers of meaning, you know? And you can add more weight to situations than maybe you had before, which is, like, I mean, it's what your, your story does. Like, it adds weight to that conversation between... Um, Palpatine and and vader uh they on uh oh, i'm forgetting the name of the star destroyer now but the one that they have uh where basically they're they're going at each other and both of them know they're lying to each other yeah uh, which is really really cool so um was that like a scene did you have to sit and like watch that over and over again uh to kind of figure out how you wanted to develop the story or, or what did that look like
1: um, only a few times because like I knew it pretty much in my head from you know watching Empire a bazillion times. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not like so I, I had, um, I had uh, like Michael Morisi, who wrote the um like the trench warfare story on Hoth. He said that he rewatched the Hoth scene like fifteen times, but taking notes specifically about like when does this ship crash, like when does it cut to like this you know gunner or whoever, because he had to keep. Uh, a logistical timeline in his story. Mine was just more about like, you know, what is what's Palpatine thinking when he's leading up to you know his Zoom call with Vader. So like, I didn't really have to look into it that much because like we basically know we know that Vader is lying to to Palpatine because in the crawl it says he's looking for Luke Skywalker. So like that's implied. Um, like we don't totally know what Palpatine's motivations are in there, but it's safe to assume that like he's Palpatine. He always knows more about it. So uh, that, that was like my, uh, you know, um, Hail Mary pitch to Lucasfilm was like, I think he knows more and let's – See, play it out this way, and unfortunately, they they took it. I will also say that as uh, one of the most important things about this story to me was, a, as a huge fan of the prequels and you know the prequel era and the Clone Wars, was being able to tie it into there because I think it's it's so important to weave the character of Anakin into the original trilogy of Vader, and I wanted to get Padme in there too because Padme, even though she's dead, is such an important. Piece of Anakin, like it's, I, and I really love how um, the Greg Pak run on the Star on the Vader comic, and also even the um, the Vader Immortal VR series. Like it's, I love how the canon is now making this vitally important to Vader because it shouldn't just be brushed aside. Like this is the reason that he turned to the dark side, and I don't think like Anakin. I mean, he was he's young, so I don't think he like he loves her, or he loves her memory, like, you know, someone who's been married to someone for, like, 60 years or whatever. I think he's, like, still, it's a mix of passion and also, like, lo- loving the idea of it. And also, like, it was taken from him, so he, it never got to fully develop. And so it's its almost like, you know, the crush that you, let get away except taken to, like, the exponentially wrong level.
2: Yeah, I mean, because, like, Anakin loses his his mother he loses basically his his sister in uh ahsoka walking away and then he loses his wife like he he literally loses every form of like female figure that you can have uh i would say too
1: that he also loses his the person who was supposed to be his dad in qui-gon oh
2: 100 yeah
1: yeah because like you can see that like it's like if you're if you know if your dad dies and you get raised by like your older brother who has no idea what he's doing and is terrible at communication. <laughs> so you love him, but he you can't be honest with him. Like so you take all of that and then you have the gaslighting by the Jedi and that's what creates Anakin.
2: Well, yeah, I mean there's the 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 failed father figures in Anakin's life are just insane like i did a whole (laughs) article like a, a few years back about how um you know each one kind of dropped the ball in different ways and um that's one of the things about anakin and why i'm really glad you brought his story into this is you know it's such an interesting why and how and everything and like depending on your life experiences you can understand it in different ways which is really really cool um I want to go back to something you were talking about in The Force earlier, um, and, and it kind of ties to the Shatterpoint idea um, and and the name of your uh, story, which is Disturbance. And here, you talk about Palpatine registering the disturbance of the Death Star, um, that it was a big disturbance. My curiosity, I'm wondering, is, was this because of Luke? Was it because of the amount of destruction that happened? Was there... Something else that was causing this particular thing to be something that stood out for Palpatine above, you know, say, like Alderaan for uh,
1: another? It it was not about the deaths of many. It was about Luke connecting to Obi-Wan through the Force. Mm, And that was something that that Palpatine did not expect. And so the way I kind of look at it is um, it's almost like a, a... Oh, I forget the name of it. Like, you know, the the the, the heart monitor, like on a hospital patient? Yeah, yeah the EKG. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, I see, like, a spike in the forces. Like, he's almost reading a graph when he sees something like that, and he's like, what's that? And so he's trying to figure it out, but because it's, like, this, you know, fraction of a second where Luke connects to Obi-Wan through the Force and he uses that to time exactly when to fire you know the the torpedoes and that was not palpatine did not expect that at all so that's that's what that's all about
2: I mean, it it kind of ties back into, you know, the idea of uh, the Force Awakens, you know, where Snoke goes, there's been an awakening, have you felt it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's literally um, kind of what's happening here is, you know, Luke is aware of the Force and and things like that, but that's his real awakening uh, moment. And so it's cool to think, like, not just did Palpatine know that, like, okay, something bad for my bigger plan for galactic domination happened, you know, but something... That I had didn't have a plan for, something that I didn't expect. and then eventually something that's going to be his ultimate downfall is um, is right there in front of him. And like, what do you do about that when you don't even really know what it is?
1: I would say that like if, let's say like Luke did not exist, but then, like the rebels were able to like plant a bomb on the Death Star core and blow it up that way. Palpatine would just adapt. You know, he would be like, he'd be miffed, but it wouldn't it wouldn't drive him. But because he recognizes that this is a connection and a strength in the Force that he was not expecting, that's what makes him go, oh shit, what is this?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, and especially like when you have somebody, you know, to go to your river analogy, like somebody who spends so much time in the currents, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a, something that you kind of, uh, to me made clear, is that Palpatine is spending a lot of time in the depths of the old Jedi temple. like. We know he's not out grandstanding and shaking hands and, and kissing you know, babies. He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, he literally couldn't care less, and that's pretty cool to me. And there's another thing about Palpatine that I was curious about, um, because I really like how you kind of got into his mindset and developed his character and stuff here. There's a distinction in the Emperor and Palpatine um, in this story. And so with that in mind, were you thinking that Palpatine sees them as different people? Like the emperor is the, you know, facing the galaxy and Palpatine is who he truly is, or, you know, kind of an Anakin Vader thing, or was it more just like a, you had to make the narrative distinction between vision Palpatine and
1: it, it was, it was, um, we, I had tried to, it was a suggestion from my editor because I kept using words like Palpatine's doppelganger and and things like that. And it just got too clunky. So he Mm. said um, like, okay, well, Palpatine is standing, you know, at the entrance right here. So does he see himself or does he see the emperor? And he's like, Oh, he sees the emperor. Okay. We'll call him the emperor for simplicity's sake. But I, I don't think like, I mean, he, he, to me, he does see like Palpatine, much more so in, like, the early prequel era, like, is, like, the front face, you know, and then there's, like, Darth Sidious, but I think he just sees himself as Darth Sidious and, like, the Emperor's title that he has achieved.
2: Well, and I think, you know, for this story in particular, you can look at it also as, you know, kind of an Anakin Vader thing because he is experiencing, Mm -hmm. you know, Anakin's delusions that maybe, you know, of course you may have not intended it to, but the way that I read it is that also was almost an understanding of how there can be a distinction between identities and how you could have, you know, the Sith Lord, Darth Vader, who is doing your bidding, who also has these delusions that could, you know, cause you issues uh, down the road, which, of course, happens with
1: Luke. And I wanted to be clear, like, when, when Palpatine is, like, seeking out, like, who is this boy, and he runs through... Like, well, it could just be, you know, there's plenty of people who practice the dark arts. The galaxy is a big place. You know, and like, that's the way that it always goes. Is someone pops up out of nowhere and, you know, they try to overthrow you and whatever, I'll kill them. So I, I wanted it to be, to be clear that like, you know, he's mentally prepared for it to be challenged at some point. He's not expecting it to be Luke. And, and that was like the, the clear thing. That's like, that's his big eyebrow raise moment. Like, can I ask you something? As as readers, um, when when you read or listened to this for the first time, did either of you think that it was actually about Kylo Ren as the boy until until it was clearly described as Luke? Because I, I saw that somewhere in a review, and I'm like, no, I never thought of that. But that's cool that you interpreted it that way. I don't. I never thought
2: about that. I more was kind of trying to determine if it was Luke or Vader. <laughs> um, but I think maybe this story coming out right around the Lego holiday special where you do have...
1: Oh, that's true.
2: (laughs) You know, like, there (laughs) may have been a weird little, like, hmm, maybe that was an all, uh, you know, tinfoil hat conspiracy kind of thing going on. Um, Um, Yeah, I never
0: never got that vibe. I always got the vibe of... um, And I I don't know if this is uh, part of your... Um, kind of thought process, but I've I've always looked at Palpatine as being obsessed with the perfect apprentice, and he finally gets him, and what does he do? He gets destroyed and cut in half, and you know he doesn't believe in him. But Vader proves his proves his own. I sometimes I look at this chapter as not even you know, and it says you know he doesn't really. I'm not quoting you exactly, but, like, fear is not an emotion that he feels. He, you know, he just doesn't feel scared. He thinks that these visions should scare him, but they just don't. He's just amused. He's, He's happy to be threatened a little bit. Like, he's excited because he's never felt that for a while. And I think he immediately, I think he's happy about... Luke becoming or the the realization that there's another Skywalker out there because I think Palpatine's always obsessed with the perfect apprentice and this is the first time he's realized in a long time that he could really have another truly powerful apprentice
1: yeah it's, it's actually it's totally that it's the idea it, it goes back to the whole Palpatine is always adapting so you know his plans. Kind of went off the rails, but like for now, Vader is a reasonable servant. But to have the opportunity to to go back to someone who's just as powerful, but as a has a whole body and is still pretty much a blank canvas, then it, his whole goal would be to adapt to that possibility. Uh, one of the the coolest interactions that I've had since this came out was um, I had uh, tweeted to Sam Witwer about like, oh, I you know I really love what you did. And he said that uh, he loved the idea that Palpatine saw this vision and didn't get mad. He was just curious. And he said, like, that's you know how he always thought Palpatine would act. I'm like, well, you voiced Palpatine, <laughs> you know, in various yeah. formats, so I will take that as the highest
0: compliment. <laughs> I don't think he's. I don't think he's uh, even the the vibe I get is. He's revved up like he's oh, yeah. never felt this kind of ex- he hasn't felt this excitement in a long time and I I feel like it's it's not even curious it's it's actually like he is he's revved up by the fact that there's a threat to his death he doesn't understand what's going on he's finally getting to calculate because let's face it he loves chess he loves turning the tide And now there's all these variables instead of him just, you know, he's been a mastermind at predicting and evaluating, but now there's so many variables and especially like when you even look at like the aftermath and how they kind of created the, uh, what's it called? The contingency plan, like Palpatine Mm -hmm. even has a contingency for his failure, um, in the battle, you know, and that's, he talks to, um his own you know captains and has everything set up he he's just a planner and he's completely thrilled by the idea of luke he's got his new pet to play with
1: well i I like to think that he um has his own like google spreadsheets of all his plans that he looks at in (laughs) private (laughs) But he's, just it, got a, he's got a
2: mind map on his
1: uh, yeah, because like, that's a lot of stuff to remember. So he's got to write it down somewhere. Excel but, spreadsheet uh, is yeah. the best. <laughs> the um, there's the beat at the very end where he lets himself smile and and enjoy the moment, and that's that's totally what it was. Where you know he was like he spent so long just like constantly like basically churning through the force. And now he's been rewarded for all of his due diligence. And so he he lets himself feel an emotion for just a little bit, and then he goes straight into manipulating Vader. And, I mean,
2: the, the idea that's kind of present, you know, through having Luke at Vader's side and on the dark side is this idea of nature versus nurture. Um, and to me that's really interesting because Palpatine is, I mean, he's kind of in that struggle of, like, grooming anakin but then also trying to you know let him come to his own in his force abilities and the potential of what that could look like with luke like it's just really fascinating to me even though i don't think it is i personally don't think there's a galaxy in which luke would um, stand by palpatine's side so did you consider that at all of like what it would look like if luke was there with palpatine and that come into how you wrote that particular part of the story?
1: Yeah, I I, I really do think that, like... I mean, we, we kind of lionized Luke Skywalker. Um, I, I really loved how, like, The Last Jedi kind of broke down, like, who is the legend of Luke Skywalker versus the person. Because you see in A New Hope and Empire that he is flawed. Um, and especially if, if we're looking at this point in... this, So this takes place, you know, right before... Mostly right before, you know, the, the, the call on M- an empire. So basically between Hoth and, and, uh, that moment. So Luke is still very, very raw at that point. And I do think that like the possibility of him not having the inner strength to choose the right path when he's still filled with anger and just, confusion and fear and all this other stuff before he's had time with yoda before he's you know gone through the events of return of the jedi and the stuff that's been established as canon now between that um i think it'd be very plausible for him to turn under the right circumstances so the 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 vision though is this this vision is not an authentic vision of luke skywalker it is what anakin wants luke to be
2: yeah, for sure. Because, like, to me, one of the things, like, I'm with you on Last Jedi. Like, I love that they kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, knocked him down a peg. And I'm a huge Luke Skywalker fan. Um, but there has been kind of the, the lionizing um, of him, like you said. To me, though, I look at that moment in Empire when Luke finds out the one thing he's been searching for his whole life is right in front of him and it's the worst thing that it could possibly be and the easiest thing to do and really what looks like the only option is to go join him and he instead of doing that he leaps to his death like he would rather die than join the dark side and to me like That's a uh, something that I've looked at in my own life of like you know people saying like you don't have a choice. I'm like you always have a choice. Mm -hmm. It's just whether you're willing to make the hard choice. That's the difference, and that's what sets Luke apart from um, you know what we get with Anakin.
1: And you know, watching the prequel or watching the whole the first six episodes in the Machete order, you really do see the parallels in choice that start to pop up and it's like for for a while there's like some some parallel moves and then towards the end it's like every time a similar choice is presented anakin chooses the wrong way and then luke chooses the right way and you can argue like is it because of like support system is it because of friendship is it because of x y and z i'd like to think that one of the ideas that, that lucas had and i don't know if he's ever talked about this is the idea that Luke always had Han and Leia, you know, and Lando and Chewie, but he had friendship. He had his found family that he could always turn to. He could be honest with Leia and say, Darth Vader is my father, you are my sister. Shit is fucked up right now, (laughs) you know? Um, Whereas every time Anakin wanted to have that conversation with someone, they're constantly rejecting him. And that fuels into his inability to make the right choice.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the, this chat, like I, I really, I, I hope you honestly, I mean, I don't know if you want it, but I hope you get your own Star Wars book. This, uh, this is this chapter, this chapter really, it, It's up there with Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice for me. Like, I, these are such polar (laughs) opposites in the best way because I love, like, the Darth Bane stuff. I love it when Star Wars truly goes evil and complicated Mm -hmm. and emotional. I love the weight of Star Wars much more than anything else. The actual, um, the weight of it all, uh, but I gotta say, you know, before if if you get a if if you uh, get another chapter for the uh, eventual certain point of view revenge of uh, Return of the Jedi, I gotta say your your understanding of Anakin, um, I would be very intrigued uh, to to see you write the chapter where Anakin's handing Luke over to uh, to the Emperor and what's going on in his head. I would love I, to see. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. I don't think they would
1: actually let that happen because at that point, um, Anakin and Palpatine, <laughs> Anakin, Vader <laughs> slash Anakin and Palpatine, like they're, I believe they would be considered main characters. So I don't know if I would be allowed to choose. I definitely would not be allowed to choose Vader. Um, I, it, if if you watch the replay of one of the launch events, like we were all asked, like what would you pick. Um, and the the idea that just popped up in my head actually that night um, is to write an Anakin story but from the point of view of Ahsoka in the world between worlds where she is witnessing Anakin making the choice to save Luke and then what does she feel in the force at that I don't Dude. know if, if I would ever get the chance to do that but I've, I've basically outlined it like on a Google Doc
0: Well, <laughs> if, I, and- if I get the call <laughs> Because the the reason why my mind goes that way is, uh, I think, oh man, what's the original writer for Return of the Jedi? It was something Khan, uh, James Khan. There's this chapter where, you know, when Vader is uh, taking off his mask and looking at Luke, I can't exactly quote it, and I've been looking for excerpts as we've been talking to try and actually read it, but it's the realization of all the bad things that he's done and he remembers being Anakin like this uh, heavy burden had been lifted off of him. And I've I've always, you know, he says like, uh, you know, thoughts and memories of Obi-Wan and space, Obi-Wan, and the friendship they had had long before the fire. I mean, they, they all but hint him burning in yeah. a lava pit, and that was years ago. Um, when the book was written and i've always wanted to see the confliction in that moment so that's interesting that they won't do m- main characters given the fact that they've done like i mean i guess i guess that makes sense but yeah that's the, thing uh, the whole series is yeah no for point sure of view. for sure but i that's just something that i would i would love to see um uh, so that without- confliction without
1: giving anything away i have a rough outline of this idea if they ever let me do it and those are some of the themes that that we're running with because it's redemption should not be a single act um and it should not be just like a moment of Mm -hmm. you know feeling good about yourself there should be something much more to that i think anakin and ahsoka would have a very interesting conversation
0: about that
2: yeah, that idea of like redemption versus atonement, like that's mm-hmm. exactly. that's,
0: that's the way I've looked at it. Yeah yeah
2: so mike we literally could probably talk to you for another six or seven <laughs> hours about this but uh,
1: I, I would totally
2: do it <laughs> i know i know um so you are welcome back anytime uh you just say when but before we let you go we have uh, little questions that we do at the end it's kind of sure. a rapid fire just fun um star wars question so are you ready for these sure let's go all right uh we'll start it off easy which star wars movie did you watch most recently and why
1: uh, let me think about that. Um, shows don't count, right?
2: Uh, shows don't count now.
1: Okay, yes, because I would say like the Clone Wars movie, because like that was part of our like when we started exploring Clone Wars with my daughter. Um, but I, I would say it probably would be the Last Jedi because that was like the last movie we sat down with her. So so if it's outside of like that journey, then it would be Rogue One, because Rogue One is kind of my go-to like comfort Star Wars movie right now. Oh, it's so good.
2: It's so, so good. good.
1: <laughs> yes, I love uh, that movie.
2: All right, this one can be in Galaxy, or it can be in the real world. Who is your Star Wars partner in crime or BFF?
1: <sighs> I'd say Ahsoka. Yeah, I, yes, I'd say that I- is the correct <laughs> answer. You are, First one to get it right. Good job. I'd say like season four to five ish Ahsoka too when she's got some experience under her feet and she's got some confidence and she's not afraid to question things, but she's not so you know destroyed by the universe that she's become a monk. Yeah, I'm Ahsoka
2: is like my favorite character. I'm absolutely I'm literally surrounded by Ahsoka's in my office right now. I have Ahsoka. Can I tell you a story about that? Please do.
1: Okay, so. My wife um, has seen me watch Clone Wars and she's a big Star Wars fan, but she never got into Clone Wars. She just she knows a lot about it. Um, And but we were watching Mandalorian together. And so once they mentioned Ahsoka, I said, like, I don't know where they're going to go, but you should probably they're probably going to allude to some things. And I know we've been planning on watching Clone Wars together, but can I give you a speed run through it? And so we, I showed her just the last arc of season seven. Um, and I think I gave her just like a briefing of like, these are some things that they're going to allude to about her leaving the Jedi Order and, and things like that. And so she went from seeing a little bit of her in the Clone Wars movie and being like, I don't know why everyone loves this character to Like the end of that, like she goes, first thing she says is, wow, Ahsoka has seen some shit. <laughs> yes, she has. <laughs> but then she's like, I want more. Give me all of the Ahsoka. I'm like, yes, she is the best character.
2: <laughs> she really, really is. I love Ahsoka. Um, all right. What would your Star Wars pet be?
1: Ooh, I want a droid (laughs) does that count (laughs) i want an astromech droid to like to i i would say i want a protocol droid to clean my house but that's not cool so no i would want uh, an astromech droid to to be my buddy and also like help me fix stuff but then also listen with beeps and boops when i need it
2: there you go. Yeah. Like, they they get the feeling, but you don't have to get into t- too deep of a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the Test of Courage by Justina Ireland has a, uh, I think it was a, a bounty hunter droid or a, a uh, bodyguard droid, I don't remember exactly what they classified it as, that had been reprogrammed as a nanny droid. So I think you could, like, swing that as, like, mm-hmm. one that cleans your house, because it's also, like, protecting your kids. Yeah, yeah. So, I think that's allowable. Um, all right, which Star Wars character would you let take over your Twitter account for a day?
1: Ooh, uh, Lando. Lando's Mr. Smooth. Yes.
2: Yes, 100%. You would be, you would come back to a lot of mentions, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> it'd be great.
1: Because, you know, like, Han Solo, even though he's witty, would just be terrible at Twitter. I feel oh, like yeah. he, just, he just, like, he would not get the tone right. 100%. I bet Leia would be really good at Twitter, though.
2: I think Leia would be really good at like the the sponsored kind of tweets, where it's like you don't realize it's sponsored until you like. Oh, yeah, are, that's you a know good what point. I mean. Like, yeah. she'd be good at that one. Whereas Lando would just be like, you know, on day one, he's got like five thousand followers. He's getting the blue check after a week. Like, he's got the game.
1: I, I bet Clone Wars era Obi Wan would actually be good in the way that, like, you know, there's some accounts where it's like they just do like this 20 thread uh, you know, list of like some really interesting and deep observation and it's not necessarily funny but you, like, you just fall into it I bet Obi-Wan would do stuff like that
2: yeah I could see that I, that or just like showing the fallacies in people's arguments when they start <laughs> yes. to just be you know like when totally the trolls start going he just calls yeah. them all out alright to round it out what is your favorite Star Wars line
1: oh okay. I got asked this on a different podcast, so I'm going to change my answer from that to avoid repetition. Because I use the what is the Star Wars line I quote the most as as like the defining thing for that. Which I will say, just for the record, I said possibly from Attack of the Clones. Because I actually like when Obi Wan when Anakin is giving him grief about like how strong he is, and Obi Wan goes possibly. And I say that all the time. Yes, <laughs> I like, do too. It's just like the gif in my head of Obi-Wan saying that. Um, but I would probably say... <sighs> I go back to my man Qui-Gon Jin. Your focus determines your reality. That is a
2: very good one. That is like top-tier, like, bumper sticker kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, that's good and
1: give, give George grief for all of his romantic dialogue, but, but he knew how to write, like, a nugget of Zen wisdom when he needed to.
2: Yeah, 100%. Like, there's so much. Like, there's Yoda, there's Qui-Gon. Like, those one-line little things he's really, really good at. In in, He's really good at kind of, like, the abstract writing of like these mm-hmm. big ph- philosophical ideas but when it comes to like real human emotion yeah, that's where you personal get personal communication yeah not um george's specialty which i mean just watch an interview and you'll uh, yeah. you'll see that but uh all right mike well thank you so much for joining us and uh thank you for this chapter because we both just absolutely uh loved what you did here and if people want to stay in touch with you and see what you have coming out because you have all kinds of uh geek stuff coming out uh where can they do that at
1: so they can follow me on twitter at mike chen writer Uh, it's important to include writer because there's also mike chen the youtube food guy who has like three million followers and we learned that one the hard
2: way yeah
1: we get confused for each other from time to time but we are we are cool with each other so (laughs) we uh we've joked about that before uh my website is mike chen com. i write books That are not Star Wars related, but uh, do have geeky Easter eggs in there um, and are are sci fi themed. So, my newest is um, We Could Be Heroes, which just came out at the end of January, and that's about a superhero and a supervillain who decide to be friends to figure out how they're going to, um, how they actually got their powers. Um, I also write for various um, geek media, so. Uh, Nerdist, Star Trek .dot com tour places like that. I pop up every few months or so.
2: Very cool, and hopefully very soon you'll be popping up on Star Wars.com with a book of your own. We're gonna push I, for it.
1: That is that is the goal, man. hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. I really really hope so.
2: Um, and if you are able to, to get that, then hopefully we can uh, put that in some classrooms because we were able to raise over $1,600 uh, to go towards books for teachers across the country. Um, so thank you to everybody who was a part of that. Congratulations again to the winners. Um, you will be receiving your prizes here in the very near future. And if you would like to continue to support us, uh, support us year round, you can do that at patreon.com slash clashing sabers. Everything's tax-deductible. 100% of the proceeds, or 100% of your donation, rather, goes towards buying and shipping books. So uh, you can head over there, or if you want more information on that, or to nominate a teacher, go over to classicsavers.net, and we have all our links there and all our social there as well. Zach is at the Lord of Lore, and uh, he's controlling our Instagram now. How's that? How's that going, Zach? You killing the insta game.
0: It's been going good. The Star Wars memes are real, and I always love uh, posting a good Star Wars meme and posting up some of the shows we got.
2: So make sure you go over to Instagram and check that out. Go over to Twitter. Go over to our Facebook group. Just communicate with us. Let us know what you thought about this story, what you thought about uh, what we talked about in this discussion, and share your certain point of view. And until we hear from you, keep reading, keep writing. But whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text.